So it's really quiet here. It's Sunday midday-ish, and I'm down in the studio and it's just me. So when I'm just me, what do I do? I get on the internet and I look at websites that excite me. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, today I'm sitting staring at the unbeatable Z9, the Nikon Z9. I'm Paul, this is the Mastering Portrait Photography Podcast. It's been a heck of a week. Uh, blimey, we have been so busy. And today is the first day where I'll admit it, had a little bit of a lie in. Uh, overslept completely. We, I've worked until the early hours every night for as long as I can remember. Uh, we have, broadly speaking, broadly speaking, done about 12 months worth of work in the last six. And that's a good thing. It's really exciting, of course, to have the studio buzzing. But there is nothing quite like being in the studio when it's quiet. I absolutely love it. Uh, so uh, this podcast, um, a couple of weeks ago, I uh, posted a podcast in response to James Keane's question about switching to mirrorless. And effectively, <laughs> effectively, uh, I spent 45 minutes in the car muttering about the the things about the Z7 II or the Z7 II, the Nikon Z7 II that frustrated me. Um, and to be fair, that's not really a commentary on going mirrorless. I am more excited about what mirrorless will mean than I have been about any other step change in the technology. When I first went digital, uh, when my uh, Pentax, I think I, I can't remember the number of the camera, but it was their flagship 35mm camera. When I had all of that and the lenses nicked, it broke my heart. And I really felt that going to digital was a step down. I went to the Nikon D100. Well, it, I couldn't have been further from the truth. Once I got past the fact that I was capturing slightly slightly less information per frame, the handling, the immediacy of it. I mean, I mean, just about every single measure you could you could put forward as a professional photographer, I preferred in digital. And of course, we then trundled our way all the way up into where we are now. And suddenly, mirrorless is throwing an opportunity that is bigger than those first steps to digital, at least in my opinion. Why do I say that? Well, think about it. Think about what happens when you take away the mechanical componentry and you're left with just what you need. Some glass, the ability to focus light and the ability to capture it. There's nothing else. There's nothing else. So you suddenly have in your hands the ability to create high resolution, beautifully rendered images in the same way that you can do it on your iPhone. Now, I know that sounds like a slightly contradictory thing, but how often have you stood next to someone when you're doing a shoot and they've taken a quick clip of what you've done on their iPhone and the iPhone picture looks better on the on the phone than it does the, the one that you've just taken on the back of your camera? Now, you know you've captured more information and that when the image is finally published, you're going to run rings around any small device camera with a lens that's smaller than my thumbnail. You just are. But in that moment, the AI on the camera, or the AI on the phone rather, and the ability just to instantly clip that picture, and so often you're looking at a, you know, an overly processed, it's never going to blow up image. Uh, but it's it just, oh, really? And mirrorless gives us the opportunity to have a little bit more of that experience. I still want to capture these hugely dynamic, the, 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 have, capture a hugely dynamic range on camera. I still want to have the ability to have a genuine, not an artificial 
bokeh or out of focus in the background. I want the glory of glass. But I also want the ability to do the things you can do when you no longer have a flappy mirror getting in the way and you no longer have a shutter. And so what I wanted to do as I'm sitting here on this uh, on this Sunday, I've ordered my Z9, by the way, it's on order. Uh, a little quick plug. Now, when you read this podcast or you listen to the podcast or you view any of the posts, it will not say anywhere uh, that this is paid for content and that is because it is not paid for content i sit here with a microphone uh, and my screen uh, and some ideas and i chatter away i talk about the things i like i talk about the things i don't like uh, because i'm not paid by anybody to do anything different um but i'm gonna just give a quick shout so i've ordered my nikon z9 from an amazing shop called gray's of Westminster. Now, I don't know if you've ever been there, but you should go, right? You should just go because it's a little like Ollivander's one shop in Harry Potter. And you can't help but feel when you walk in that the camera chooses the photographer, Mr. Wilkinson. The camera chooses the photographer because <laughs> this shop it is just like that. It's stacked from floor to ceiling with interesting Nikon stuff. Old stuff, new stuff, second-hand stuff, just full of it. And also a team of people who are as passionate about Nikon's kit, Nikon's brand, its history, its legacy, as I am. I own, I have said this before, I'm that side guy that owns the Nikon Compendium. I have the book. I found it when I was working in New York. It was, I can't remember which bookshop it was, but I stumbled upon this. It's a big, hard-pack book that's chock-full of Nikon stuff. It just has everything up until I think the D2X. I think I should pick it up again, have a look. That's how old it is. Uh, well, it was current at the time. And occasionally I pick it up just to enjoy reading about cameras and lenses. I know that sounds nerdy. And I'm sure there's people out there who listen to this podcast. I don't know why you listen to the podcast. Maybe you're having a bath and just relaxing, but thinking, why on earth would someone want? a book about the stuff they use or the stuff that they don't use. I don't know. I've no idea why. I just find it interesting. Well, Greys of Westminster is a team of people in a small shop uh, in London, central London, that is that. It's almost a Nikon compendium in three-dimensional form. Anything you can imagine, any information you want, the team, the guys down there have it. And when you go there, it is literally... You can't help but want to spend money um, because you just want to touch stuff and pick up stuff and hand your credit card over. It's why Just take the money. I absolutely love this place. Uh, obviously, with everything that's going on, it's hard to get into shops and things, uh, but their online uh, shop is very good. They have a massive range of secondhand, and when they say their secondhand stuff is mint, they mean it. It's mint, so you can buy it and trust it. Well, I've ordered my Nikon Z9 uh, with a little bit of luck. It will turn up in the foreseeable future. Uh, I know the, the, it's gone absolutely ballistic because, of course, this camera is a game changer. Uh, so hopefully I will get it soon. And when I get it, uh, hopefully I'll get a chance to do a quick unboxing. Uh, and I'm sure I'm sure the guys down at Grey's are absolutely, absolutely swamped. But I'd still like to steer you. Uh, towards them because they're a lovely team the Nikon magazine they produce is just wonderful uh, so it's just nice occasionally you know there's all of the big boys out there who are also incredible of course they are they, you don't get to be big without offering a great 
at least a great delivery service, but these guys really, really, really know their stuff. It's Grays of Westminster. The website is graysofwestminster.co.uk. Please head over and support what I think is one of... It's actually, for me, along with the Nikon Professional Services... Uh, which of which I'm a member, it's, uh, I think, one of the greatest things about being a Nikon uh, photographer. And like I said, there's no one paying me for this. I'm telling you because I think it's worth telling. Uh, anyway, I felt like just doing this particular podcast about the Z9. Now, I don't have the Z9. It hasn't arrived. Like I've just said, uh, <laughs> I'd like to think it's going to be sometime uh, this decade. Uh, I've paid for it. It's on order. Um, I've looked at the price of batteries, 180 quid for batteries. That's a lot of money for a battery. But by all accounts, uh, thankfully, this unit will take the same batteries that I had in my Nikon D5. That's what I'm hearing uh, so far. And that was so what I'm going to do is I just wanted to just talk through the spec of this thing, because if I'm right, if I'm right, this isn't the pinnacle of where we are with mirrorless is the beginning of the next generation of mirrorless. Now, I know that's a bold claim, and I'm making the claim based on nothing but the spec sheet. I'm sitting here, I'm reading, <laughs> I used to do this a lot. You go to a photography show and you pick up all the leaflets. Now, of course, I'm doing this online, but I'm still getting as excited as ever. And of course, it's not even like I can say, I'll order it. I've ordered it. It's I have parted with my money. All, I think it's 5,300 of my British pounds. In the States, I think it's uh, $5,500. Never quite understood those exchange rates. I think the exchange rate's about 1.4, but that looks more or less pound to dollar equivalent uh had i been in a position where i could fly in and out of the of the us regularly like i used to do uh, i would have possibly thought about a gray import on that but nonetheless five and a half thousand pounds ish so it better be worth it um and so i'm just going to go through the spec and explain why i think this is just off the top of the scale and also to put to bed some of my moaning about the z7 Two, because the Z7 II, whichever way you look at it, is not not this. It isn't an equivalent to my D5. I never bought the D6. I explained why. You know, the only reason I've gone straight into mirrorless rather than jumping to the D6 and then going to uh, the Z, waiting for the Z9 was because my lenses needed replacing. And sadly for me, and I think it's, I understand that they're thinking about it. I really do. But it was a shame they changed the um, fitting for the camera. Not that you can't use legacy lenses on the on the camera. You can. The FTZ adapter is absolutely incredible. And I was very cynical about that. As soon as you mentioned the word adapter, <laughs> that's it. I'm like, well, that ain't going to work, is it? Well, no, the FTZ is absolutely brilliant. Uh, you plug uh, an, a standard 35mm AF lens onto the front of it. And apart from the fact there's no mechanical screw thread to drive some of my older lenses, it's absolutely almost perfect and I know they've released a new version of that uh, this week I think I saw the spec for that uh, I'm not quite certain what's changed other than they've changed its shape so it feels like it fits in your hand a little bit more precisely and that does make sense because they on the FTC the current one the version one that I have they've put a tripod mount on it which just digs into your hand and with the battery grip on the Z7 II you can't use it anyway because the battery grip itself impedes it so a little bit irritating I understand probably the iteration they went through uh, but nonetheless it's really very good but my there's no point in me buying another set of 35mm AFS lenses the standard Nikon up until this date lenses when I know come the arrival of mirrorless 
we're going to be buying new lenses anyway. So I jumped the whole lot, bought new lenses, bought the Z7 II, waiting patiently for the Z9. And when I say patiently, what I mean is grumbling <laughs> because the Z7 II is not what it needs to be. The quality of the imagery is great as long as you profile it well. Uh, but that's really where it stops. Everything else was like going back to an older camera. Not, it's not as bad as my D100, the very first Nikon digital I owned. Of course it isn't. But things on the D2, for instance, when I used to shoot on the D2 at weddings, um, variously, so this is the D2X, the D2XS, those two cameras. Uh, variously, the focusing would say it was okay in the viewfinder, but actually it had locked onto a hedge in the background. And it used to do this quite monotonously, regularly. <laughs> and I, you have to sort of invent techniques for getting around it. I mean, obviously, if you can get enough separation between whatever you're photographing and something that has texture in the background, that's the best way of doing it. Uh, but it, it used to just do this. It, the, what seemed to be happening was the alignment of the little red dot in the viewfinder and the actual focus point were never quite the same. And so you had to just double check. And eventually I started using different dots and double checking and doing all sorts of things, um, which is fine. You talk about this stuff. And it's like, why don't you just do this? It'd be very easy for you just to focus properly. Yes, I know that. I'm a professional photographer. But when you're absolutely caning it through the middle of a crowd, trying to nail a shot, I need to rely on it. I need to absolutely rely on it. And pulling a photo because it's blurred breaks your heart. Well, the Z7 II also has a slight propensity for not locking on. And in bright conditions, when you think it would be perfect, one of the challenges I have with it is the viewfinder isn't bright enough. So you have to properly, I'm pressing the camera right against my glasses to eliminate any, any light coming in at all. And I know on the Z9, that's one of the things they've changed. So I'm not really moaning about the Z7. I'm not. It just has its place in the hierarchy. The Z9 is the camera that we've all been waiting for. It's the camera that I think will begin the next generation of, of mirrorless. So for those of you curious about what mirrorless is going to be like, it's going to be incredible. I have no doubt. I've never had any doubt. Listen back to that podcast where I'm moaning. I'm also saying when eventually they get rid of the shutter and, the, and obviously they've already got rid of the mirror, when they get rid of the shutter, not a lot of people know this, but actually most mirrorless cameras, if not near, I'm thinking all mirrorless cameras up until this point, have a digital, sorry, have a mechanical shutter in there as well. For a million reasons, which the most basic of which is that when you get up into the higher shutter speeds, you don't want rolling shutter syndrome. Um, what they want to be able to do is pulse or read the shutter while the, sorry, read the sensor while the shutter is wide open and then clamp the shutter while it's still reading data from the sensor rather than just trying to very quickly read the data because on every sensor up until this point the data is read line by line by line by line and you get a thing called rolling shutter syndrome so uh, the pictures you generally see are of um aircraft propeller blades it's the standard one very high electronic shutter so uh, sensor shutter only, no mechanical shutter, and you see the blades all look curved. That's called rolling shutter. And it's because the sensor's reading the data line by line by line by line. Well, this new sensor on the Z9 hopefully fixes that. It's the first generation of cameras that truly does. And because they fix that one problem, everything else flows off it. There's no mechanical shutter, which now means they can do some really, really clever stuff. So I'm just going to quick, quickly go through, I say quickly. You know me, uh, nothing uh, is that quick with me. Uh, so I'm going to go through and just explain why some of the things that they're talking about actually excite me. So first off, uh, it talks about subject detection. 
Now, they've, they've used the term subject detection from deep learning. <laughs> well, thank you, marketeers, uh, because, of course, because, of course, that is meaningless. It doesn't mean anything at all. And I say that as someone who has a PhD in machine learning. Uh, I am certain there's all sorts of things that have gone on, but what they're saying really doesn't mean that much. However, what it does mean, if they're right, and the tracking, the eye tracking and the subject tracking is as good as they're saying it is, then things are about to get a whole lot better. Particularly for me, the, the one time I curse, truly curse the Z9, is when I'm photographing at the Hearing Dogs, this wonderful charity that I've worked with for a decade. Um, the D5 was actually pretty good if I could just hold on to it, uh, tracking a running dog towards the camera. It was pretty good, not perfect. Um, the, the good news was that the, the actual tracking was okay, but of course, every time you took a shot, the mirror flapped up. Uh, the, and the focusing would lose track temporarily, and then you'd have to pick it up again. It happened very quickly, and it was... Uh, almost seamless, but it wasn't perfect. The Z7, sadly, my hit rate has gone down. Luckily, though, you can take as many shots as you like, and we're still getting what we need, but I'm now having to claw my way through a lot more pictures to find that one where the eyes are truly sharp. Now, the, the, the animal mode on it is, again, very good, but because there's still a blackout time on the sensor, then you still lose track of, the, uh, of your dog temporarily. And you have to just wait for the camera. You just pause and wait for the camera. Let it just find the subject again, and then you can fire again and do the whole thing once more. This now, if they're right about the subject detection and the fact the sensor never goes dark, well, now we're looking. I'm so excited about this because it should mean, in theory, that every time I do a hearing dog shoot, every shot of a running dog should be in focus. We'll see. It's a big and bold claim, but I'm really, really, really excited about it. Now, I'm reading the spec here, and it says the autofocus and auto exposure calcs are made at 120 cycles per second. That's a hell of a thing. So let's see if that's true. If it is true, then, oh my goodness, we are cooking on gas. Uh, it talks about 3D tracking, subject detection. And this, is, well, this is all the same topic, right? Basically, what we're excited about is that if all of these claims, and we're starting to get some corroboration through from photographers who have had their hands on the camera, if they're right, then this is a game changer for me because it means I can pin the, pin the sensor onto a dog and that's it. I'm done. Every shot I take, all I've got to do is hit the button at the right moment or, given it's saying it'll run at 30 frames per second in a raw format, It'll run at 120 frames per second in a reduced size. <laughs> now, for what we need, actually, that would do fine. I don't know what I'm going to do with... I mean, that in 10 seconds, that's 1,200 images. I don't know what I'm going to do with all of those images if I took them. And that's way too many. But it's going to be interesting to see because 120 frames a second of raw footage, raw stills, I mean, that's, that's essentially slow-mo video, but with raw capability. Now, I know you have to reduce the sensor, reduce the dimensions of the image to do that, but think about that. That's effectively giving me the ability that the video shooters are claiming you can just pick a still from the movement, but I'm doing it on a raw file with all of the dynamic range. And like I said, I think this is the beginning of the next generation of cameras because without that mechanical shutter, as long as you can get the processing speed into the camera and the battery power to drive it for long enough, I've got so much ability downstream. Unlike if you record video, 
where you have a lot less ability downstream. I've got the full capability of raw files all the way down the stream. We will see quite what that means for us, but I'm really, really, really excited about it. The next thing it says here on the website, I'm just reading this from Nickens' website and basically get very excited. Uh, focus in the dark. It says go down to minus 8.5 EV. Well, one of the things about the Z7 II is its low light focusing is broadly speaking as good as mine, <laughs> which is to say <laughs> not very. Uh, I've had to change some of the ways I'm focusing. For instance, uh, a bride and groom, there's a, one of our venues has this dark, beautifully lit um, woodland. All the trees have got little sparkly fairy lights on them, but the, the where I want the bride and groom positioned is fairly dark. And I just, I'm going to pop a little bit of flash off camera flash in there just to balance that out. The problem is I can't see. So I'm now having to illuminate the bride and groom. And instead of using strobes, I'm now using available light because if I've already lit them to focus on them, I might as well just use that as my light source. And that's fine, but it's not what I wanted. I wanted better freeze motion and, you know, not use slow shutter speeds. And I wanted the focusing to be absolutely spot on. Well, they're saying here that I can get normal subject detection and autofocus all the way down to minus 6.5 EV. And then there's a, there's a starlight mode, whatever that means, which will go down to 8.5, minus 8.5 EV. And on top of that, one of the things I moaned about the other day is the buttons don't light up. That's fine until you're in a dark room. And it's always it always amazes me. There's a couple of um, flash manufacturers that are the same. Almost by definition, when I'm Almost by definition, when I'm using a strobe, an on-camera flash, it's dark. <laughs> That's the point. It's dark. And are there, like, lit-up buttons? No. The screen lights up, not the buttons. I haven't got a clue which buttons I'm pressing. I guess after time you learn them. But surely, you, <laughs> surely, right, with something that is designed to be used in the dark, make it usable in the dark. Well, the Z7 doesn't have any lights on its buttons. My D5 did, and I remember that arriving, because not all of the cameras did before that. The D5 had them. The buttons were beautiful, and we're back to that on this camera. I cannot wait. I mean, these are stupid little things, right? But they're the things that, as a professional photographer, infuriate you. When you're having to, if you want to set something on a camera, now, I've, I've been using the Z7 since February, and so I know where everything is. I've learned to play it like a musician plays a keyboard, I guess. I know where all the buttons are. I can feel my way around the camera. And that's one of the reasons I've stayed with Nikon all this time is that for me, the user interface has always been two things. Firstly, it's been obvious. Everything fits. It feels like it's where it should be. And I remember having an absolute meltdown, I think this from the D4 to the D5 because they switched. What did they switch? AF mode and ISO buttons, something like that. Um, and it threw me completely until I got the hang of it and realized that the ISO button now meant that I could change the ISO, the shutter speed, and the aperture with one hand and a rolling uh, click of a wheel. And once I'd learned that, genius. It means that I can change every aspect of the exposure of the image literally off my right hand. It's all there right at my fingertips. No more looking at the menu, no more having to hold the, tilt the camera back to hit that second dial on the left-hand side of the camera. Everything sat in my grip. And Nikon have had an uncanny, un, an almost uncanny way of doing this. And then the second part of it is it always felt natural. Everything just, you know, I could learn it. It was reliable. It didn't really change camera to camera. And it just fitted in my hands as the most natural thing in the world. And it does look to me, at least on paper, 
like the uh, Z9 has gone back to that. Lit up buttons, they look like the way they should be. One of the things I moaned about, and I'm, I've been up and down this website and I can't see it, but all the reports say there is now uh, a dedicated AF button that you can change your AF settings. Because at the moment you have to go into a menu to change those. I've programmed one of the function buttons, but for goodness sake, why can I only program just one of the function buttons to change the focus mode? Come on, I've got, I, I've got about eight buttons that I could have programmed up on this thing. Only one of them, at least as far as I've found, allows me to change the focus mode. Of course, now I have a dedicated button and that will make the world of difference because when I'm running through a gig, now I've just written an article this week for the Nikon magazine. Actually, I regularly I regularly write features for Nphoto magazine, the unofficial official Nikon magazine. Um, I'm one of their monthly contributors. This month's article is all about what you want to be known for. Now, I know as a photographer, and I talk about this a little bit, I want to be known for my images. Of course I do. But actually what I'm known for is the speed with which we work, the energy we put into it. My whole team is about customer service and friendliness. Yes, the images have to be at a high standard. But for us, we were always going to stand out for the personality, the character of the business. Even this week, I've shot a wedding, had an email the day after that wedding to ask if I'd consider shooting or if I'd pitch for or quote for shooting um, the best man's wedding uh, in a couple of years' time. And that tells you a lot. It is all about the way we interact. It's all about the service we offer because at the time they're asking, would I be willing to quote? They haven't seen any of the pictures from the wedding yet. They haven't seen anything specifically to them. I mean, obviously they've seen our website and what they're buying on is the fact that I work quickly, I work with a laugh, the pictures have an energy about them. But to capture images that have that kind of energy, I've got to be able to react really quickly without a camera menu to my face. I can't stay, oh, oh that's amazing, that's, stop, 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 hang on, just, I'm just going to scroll down these menus and find the right setting for this. I can't do that, none of us can. I've got to be able to do that almost blind. I do it by feel and on the D5, I could always do it by feel. The Z7, not so much. I'm getting there, and that's after nearly a year of learning, and I'm just assuming when I get my hands on the Z9, I'll be able to say that, ah, do you know what? We're back to where we were, but we've taken out the mirror, we've taken out the shutter. So I'm really excited about that. Uh, it bangs on about the new X-Speed 7. I've never got excited about all of the specs. Um, I, I guess I should do, because it's actually that that makes it possible uh, but, you know, that's an irrelevance, really. Uh, 120 frames per second, that's great. All the sports photographers are going absolutely crazy about that. You know, uh, what are they saying here? 11 megapixel stills at 120 frames a second. I mean, that is pretty cool, right? There is something about that. Even at 11 megapixel, if I've nailed the dog's focus so precisely that it's pin sharp, 11 megapixel is plenty. I don't need any more than that. Certainly be ready for two-thirds of the uses of those images. I'll probably never use it, but oh my goodness, I might try. And then on top of that, I love this bit. There's a thousand image buffer capacity. Oh, yes. <laughs> a thousand images just by holding down my frame, holding down my finger. Uh, it says something here. It, I, some The website's a little bit contradictory. So the website says that the camera will shoot at 30 frames a second, but you can only hold a thousand frames at 20 frames per second. Not entirely certain why that should be different unless they're doing something cranky uh, with the buffering. All it's saying is, now I used to lament this a lot on the older cameras. So I'm guessing I'm going back to the D2X, D2XS days and possibly even the D3. When you got to a certain point, 
you knew the buffer had to just just wait, 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 no, wait, 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 wait. Oh, go again. <laughs> You'd be there looking at the client thing. And what happened actually was I learned to do a bit of chat because you could feel it. You could feel, you knew the camera was slow. It was it was getting there, and then suddenly it would just stop taking pictures. And that would be my moments. Oh, you look great. Let's just reset this bit. And I would actually develop a patter with the client so that I didn't ever have to say, oh, my camera's full. Just got to wait for it to, you know, unfill <laughs> because it didn't feel great. Um, so uh, it's great that we now have uh, this ability to almost limitless. I mean, a thousand frames. So to give you a sort of guide, uh, when I've worked, when I work at the Hearing Dogs in, let's say, a six hour shoot, I'll shoot about 1300 images. So essentially, all of the images from the shoot, more or less, could sit in the buffer. I mean, I know it's a little bit more ca more mechanical than that. It's not quite the whole truth. But the point is that there's a huge capacity in there, and I will never need to do that thing. Oh, just wait. Just wait. Oh, there we go. Let's carry on. Uh, dual CF Express Cards Type B. Well, this is probably the only part of the design that I'm not happy about. Because you can buy, and I've said this over and over, I can buy, I don't know, 128 gig uh, SD card. What's that? 20 pounds, possibly, <laughs> maybe 25 if I buy a really good one. 128 gig CF Express Type B is about 300 pounds. These are not cheap cards. Um, I've got to buy new readers. Everything we have works around SD cards. And suddenly, I, and I know, again, there's reasons for this stuff. It's not random. They haven't decided to pop in the most expensive memory card variant you can buy just for shits and giggles. They haven't. But I think it would have been nice to have an option to use SD cards. I know they're, more, they're less reliable. I know they're not as fast. And I know that to make the claims they're making about the buffer runs and everything else, they're relying on you putting in absolute, absolutely blindingly fast and reliable CF Express Type B cards. And that's great. But these things are... I'm going to spend nearly as much on, on CFS, CF Express cards as I've spent on one of the lenses. That's how expensive they are. And in a day and age when digital storage is at the cheapest it will ever be. Well, no, that's not true. The cheapest it's ever been. It will carry on being cheaper. It feels to me like, oh, I'm not sure about that's a great decision. Decision, But hey, you know, I'll go out and buy cards. You know, I'm going to need to get, how many will I need? I'm going to need one, two, three, four, five, six, probably. Six 256 gig CF Express cards because the process always has to be you never wipe a card until everything's backed up. So... It's going to be interesting. That's a big spend for us, you know, probably about 1,200 quid's worth of outlay just on cards alone. And that's on top of probably having to buy half a dozen batteries at 180 quid. So at the moment, I'm spending nearly as much money on the ancillary kit around the camera as I am on the camera. I don't know about that. That doesn't feel quite right to me. But hey, you know, anyway, down we go. Uh, electronic shutter you can trust. It says, finally, finally, an electronic shutter you can trust. <laughs> Big, bold marketing words. What's really good about this is if they have reduced the rolling shutter effect to zero, and they say they have, you can now shoot at up to one thirty-two thousandths of a second off an electronic shutter. Because, of course, you've got no limitation on the mechanics. Most mechanical shutters will not exceed one eight thousandths of a second so you know those days when you're outside in the sunshine and it's bright and you want it to be at f 2.8 or 1.4 
and you just can't get there even with the ISO bolted to the floor you've got ISO 64 or super low ISO or something you've got the shutter speed at one eight thousandths of a second you still need to put a neutral density filter on the front to be able to shoot with a shallow depth of field one thirty two thousandths of a second what's that that's uh one two stops faster than eight thousandths it's all right if i got that right eight thousand to 16 to 32 yeah two two more stops so i've now got the ability to have a wide open lens at whatever iso with a really incredibly quick shutter speed that is something else uh it says about the silent mode i uh, silent mode is fine i find it weird but that's because i grew up my first ever slr was a Zenith, the Zenith ET, I think. Uh, it cost me £35, I think, back in about 1984, 85, we're looking about there. Well, this thing off, went off like a gun. <laughs> you wound the film on, you hit, camera shake was just normal because the whole unit banged. And I've always had that. Now, I know they have a simulated shutter sound, um, but there's one thing, actually, here's, here's one I should throw out, here, throw out there, is I would really like the camera, you know, like um, like PlayStation handsets and things, they have haptics, so when you hit things, it vibrates slightly. I'd like the camera to vibrate when it's in focus, so that I can have it on silent mode, because I hate, even now, out in when I'm out in a crowd, I hate that beep, 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 every time I focus it. I do it because I need to hear the camera's focus. There's something about that positive feedback. I'm busily looking at the subject, and I know the red dot goes green in the middle of the viewfinder. But for me, I really like to have a different mechanism than my eyes for confirming it. So I just love the camera to go, or anything, just to tell me that it is in focus. And no one's ever done that as far as I've seen. Um, but uh, anyway absolutely amazing it's going to be silent it says you can plug in headphones so you can hear the simulated shutter sound <laughs> i don't think i'll be doing that anyway uh groundbreaking 8k video not interested i am sure the videographers out there are absolutely excited about this 8k and you can film for two hours i think at 8k uninterrupted great like i said i think this camera probably is the defining moment in the beginning of the next phase of mirrorless cameras rather than it being a historical look back. It's the best of what we've had. It is, by definition, the best of what we had. But I genuinely think, just like I think it was the Canon 5D Mark II, I apologise so much to my Canon friends, but I think wasn't that the one where... Uh, 1080p videography became normal on an SLR. I think it was that one. It suddenly became the most usable. And so suddenly everyone was talking about stills cameras with video capability. This, well, this looks like a video camera with stills capability. It's just that I don't do video and I certainly am not interested in 8K at 30p, 30 frames a second. That doesn't fascinate me. I'm sure lots and lots and lots of people will be utterly enthralled by this. There's lots of data about oversampled 4k you can do these two hours you've got different codecs yada 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 again i apologize to all my videographer friends uh that i'm not interested in it uh i just it for me it's not my core business we do some video and i'm sure i'll find a use for it but if i'm ever recording video the camera's in the video and i'm not at this stage going to buy 
two Z9s um, because I'd be queuing probably until 2025 to get one. Um, firmware updates. I don't know why. Oh, I see. They're telling you what's coming. So some of this isn't yet possible. Well, I haven't got the camera yet. My guess might be that the firmware update arrives before the camera. We shall see. 45.7 megapixel image quality. Yes. I mean, of course, this stuff is absolutely beautiful. In the end, though, it's the glass you put on the front of it that makes a difference. And for me, Nikon glass has always held a special place in my heart. There's something about um, the rendering. You know, there's lots of talk here about throughput rates, Rolling shutter, uh, the um, what's it? Oh, the VR, the vibration reduction, six stops of vibration reduction. That's great, except for the fact the likelihood is, as a people photographer, my people have moved <laughs> because if I'm shooting at, let's say, you know, half a second or a third of a second, like I do. Probably they've moved. Not that useful. It's great. I'd say I do this. I do actually use this. So at the end of a, let's say I'm doing a wedding or an event, Sarah, when she wants to design the albums up. Always wants a closing shot. Almost always that's at night time. Almost always I go and drag out a tripod uh, and do a quick still of the venue or something uh, with a long uh, long shutter speed. Actually now with the fact that the noise levels at the higher ISOs are diminishing beyond recognition and I can handhold, uh, broadly speaking, down to about a third or a half of a second and this thing looks like it's going to be even better, uh, then it makes it a lot easier to grab those last-minute nighttime shots and things. I don't need to go and uh, necessarily uh, go and drag out a, a tripod. Uh, High-efficiency RAW, we shall see. <laughs> this is apparently is a new RAW format. It retains exactly the same high image quality. You can tell I'm reading off the website, right? Uh, it retains the same high image quality, dynamic range, and flexibility as a conventional RAW file with approximately one-third smaller file size. Speed up your workflow. Mm, I think that was written by an engineer. Uh, sorry, a marketeer, not an engineer. We shall see, as I wrote about in one of the magazines, when you start to compress your images, even with super high efficiency compressors, you just got to be very watchful that the kind of images that you take aren't impacted by that. Um, we shall see. I, I can't comment because I haven't seen that yet. Um, oh, this is amazing. Blackout free real live viewfinder. What does that mean? It means the shutter never blocks the viewfinder. So even while you're shooting, the viewfinder has the picture the whole time. And I'm going to just throw this out there. I'm hoping that they've... So what they've done basically... Sorry, let me just expand on that. What they've done basically is have two streams come off the sensor. One goes to the memory grabber, which will eventually become the pictures you record on the cards. The other stream goes straight to the viewfinder and nowhere else. Amazing. It means the shutter never goes dark. What I'm hoping is they've attached the focusing to the stream of data going to the viewfinder, not to the memory cards. Because if it's the one that's going to the memory cards, you're always going to lose the focus, even if you don't lose the display. I'm sure, I'm sure they've done this, but how often have I been disappointed uh, by a decision that someone's made? So it says it's the world's first truly blackout-free viewfinder, and I am so excited about this. Um, it's also the brightest viewfinder, uh, which is really, really, really important for me because what I've noticed working on bright days is you cannot, you just can't see the EVF enough. Uh, what else does it say? A quad VGA panel? Okay, that's fine. World's brightest adjustable to 3,000 candelas per meter squared. That just means it's really, really bright. Uh, Customisable, yes, we'll come on to that. Glasses mode. Oh, it reduces the size so the whole frame is visible. Didn't even know about that. I've only just spotted that. How exciting is that? I wear glasses. Uh, and what happens when you're wearing glasses is very often uh, the magnification of my glasses means I have to sort of weirdly 
peer around the edges of the view frame to see all the data I need. There's a glasses mode. It shrinks the display. Uh, so simple, so clever. Oh, my goodness, I'm excited. Uh, scrolling down. Well, the tilt screen. Finally, the tilt screen will tilt in portrait mode. <laughs> it's so obvious. And yet, uh, what I've actually found at the hearing dogs now is I shoot very little of the dogs in portrait mode. Now, I've said to the guys, look, I'm shooting at twice the resolution I used to. I'll just shoot wide and loose. And by loose, I mean I'll leave a lot of cropping room around the edges. And you can crop vertical. You've got plenty of room to play with. Don't worry about it. But there's still that guilt that I'm not really providing what I need to, which is more portrait images. That's because when I've buried the camera down into the grass to get those really beautiful low-level shots of the dog nestled in amongst the grass blades looking straight at camera, I can't do that in portrait mode because I can't get down low enough to see it's in focus. In the old days when I was younger, yes, I used to spend my entire life as some kind of contortionist with my head buried into the daisies uh, trying to see through a viewfinder. But as soon as you go mirrorless and realize you've got a flip screen, all of that goes out the window. Now we can properly do it with a portrait tilt. So I'm really, really excited about that. Uh, it's a touchscreen, weather sealed, all that stuff. Yeah, great. It says now pro build. Funny, I thought they said that about the Z7 II, but it wasn't, never was. The whole thing, this camera is essentially a slightly smaller version of the D5, the D4, the D3, all of those cameras that uh, I had such a joy using. To be fair, the Z7 II, I love the images that come off it, but I'm finding it, it does, I don't pick it up and get excited about taking a picture with it. I just just a little twitchy now this looks like it's exactly what i was used to all those years a camera that's going to fit my hands it's rugged it has customizable function buttons it has a dedicated focus button though i'm not on one diagram can i find it i'm gonna to have to keep hunting they've said it's there and i can't see it um you know, the whole thing just looks like it's going to be a game changer. It says it's 20% smaller, but actually every Nikon camera has fitted my hands. Oh, here's a really cool one. Uh, right, I don't know if you know this, but uh, sensors are slightly magnetic, um, electromagnetic. So if dust gets in, it will stick to the sensor. You can clean it off. It's not a big deal, but it does attract dust. And I'm one of the photographers that instead of having two cameras or three cameras strapped to me, I have one camera and I change the lenses. Why? Simply because I like to know that when I've changed the lens, the settings have stayed identical. Now, until such time as camera manufacturers uh, have um, Bluetooth cameras where each camera, you change the settings on one, it automatically changes the settings on all of the others. That would be great. There's another idea for you. Uh, and then maybe I'd have three cameras and three lenses instead of one camera and three lenses. But at the moment, I still change. Of course, every time, every time I lift a lens off the front of the camera, uh, I'm just inviting dust for tea. Come on in, make yourself comfortable. There's a nice, a nice pick yourself a nice little spot dead center in the middle of my frame so that next time I shut down the aperture, there you are in all of your dusty glory. Thank you very much. That's because when you take the lens off, the sensor is completely exposed. There's no shutter in the way. Well, <laughs> there's me banging on about it. It's great. There's going to be no mechanical parts. Yeah, there is. It's called a sensor shield. And what they've done essentially is build, I guess, a fairly cheap shutter uh, that closes when you take the lens off. And then it blocks out any dust. Now, it doesn't have to be as reliable as a shutter because that has, what, 400,000 lifetime cycles. I just need it every time I change a lens. 
and that just stops the dust ingress. Hopefully, stops the dust ingress. Uh, so I'm really, 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 really uh, excited about that. Uh, this is the thing is I've never seen this before. It says there's a VR lock which locks the sensor securely in place to prevent jostling when travelling over rough terrain. <laughs> well, I've I didn't even know that was a thing. Who knew? Well, there we go. They've stopped it anyway. They've stopped it before I even knew about it. Uh, I've got gigabit Wi-Fi, uh, sorry, gigabit LAN, two and a half and five gigahertz Wi-Fi on it. Frankly, it's, it's saying these are a virtue, but these should have been on the camera probably four years ago. Um, mobile phone app, well, let's see how that goes because my current mobile phone app, which I think is called Snapbridge, won't connect to my camera. I've tried everything. I've read every blog on it. It's just a bug. Um, I can get it to connect if I really want to persevere, but I also got... Um, well, if I've got one of those Insta360 cameras, right? And this tells you the difference in some of the innovative thinking on the software side. The Insta360 team, their app, the minute I hit the app, it connects to the Insta360 camera like that. Bluetooth, then it plays to Wi-Fi really, really fast. Nikon should be doing exactly the same thing, but the software has always been clunky with Nikon. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping the new mobile app is better than the ones that we've got at this stage. Uh, let's see. I don't use it that much, but the other day someone said, can you tweet live from an event I was covering? And it's like, well, no, I can't because it's too slow to switch from being to operating the camera to having it come up on my phone. Um, just not good enough, Nikon, I'm sorry. Uh, let's hope that this particular iteration of the software and the camera fixes some of those back. Sorry, it fixes some of those uh, problems and gives me some opportunities to do live tweeting and all the rest of it. Uh, Ultimate Optics, yes, I don't know what that is. Oh, they've uh, yet another set of, uh, what have we got? Op Optimised for video recording with quiet operation. There we go. That's probably why I haven't read up on it. So in the end, there we are. I am more, more excited about this camera than I have been about any camera ever since that very first Zenith ET that I bought with my paper round money back in the 80s. Everything about it reads on paper like it should be everything I moaned about or it should prevent everything I moaned about on the previous podcast. <coughs> on the previous podcast and on top of that, it looks like it's going to set the way for the next generation of mirrorless. So in answer to your question, James Keane, which you kindly posed, and I was grumpy. I'm sorry about that. This is what I think about mirrorless. It's going to change everything. And on top of that, if you do get a chance, head over to Greys of Westminster. Honestly, <laughs> no money has changed hands. But I've always had such exceptional service from the guys. I feel like they deserve a little bit of a plug just for being super fantastic and being as big a Nikon fans as I am. So it's greysofwestminster.co. UK. So on that happy note, uh, if you get a chance, uh, I'm a regular, a monthly feature writer for N Photo Magazine, the unofficial Nikon magazine, and also a professional photographer, or professional photo magazine rather. Uh, different styles, styles of article, the N Photo is all about the business of portrait photography and going pro, uh, and professional photo is all about how we approach each image. We just pick an image and talk about why we took it, who the client was, what the motivation was, and how we actually lit, constructed, posed, 
uh, and finished each image. Uh, if, you, if you're not into that, don't pick it up. But if you are, Professional Photo Magazine is an absolute steal. I love that mag. Uh, so thank you for listening once again. Please do head over to wherever it is you get your podcasts and hit that big fat subscribe button. Uh, it does mean, and we can see that in the numbers. Every time we publish a podcast, we get an initial burst of people um, in the data says people probably not necessarily listening to it but the app is downloading it uh, and that is because you're subscribing and thank you for that please do also leave us a review uh, the best place for that is on uh, the iTunes the Apple uh, podcast apps because uh, they're the ones that right now drive our SEO more than anything else I'm sorry I can't respond to them and I wish I could there are so many lovely reviews on there and thank you we read each and every one of them but sadly, I cannot respond on the site because there's no facility to do that. Uh, but if you email me, you can always get hold of me, as people have and do. It's paul at paulwilkinsonphotography.co.uk. That's paul at paulwilkinsonphotography.co.uk. If you have any ideas or questions or things that you think should be featured on the podcast, or indeed, like some, uh, there's a very nice email I got yesterday from Chris Aguilar. I think that's how you, Aguila, Aguila. Chris, anyway, Chris <laughs> from the States, uh, who is a fashion and portrait photographer based in San Diego, California, uh, suggesting we might have a chat on the podcast. If you think you'd look, sound good on the podcast, please do drop me a line. We are a long way behind ourselves, uh, mostly thanks to COVID and also my love of interviewing face to face rather than over Zoom or some other technology. Uh, I think I'm going to have to get over that because we're still struggling to get enough interviews in. In the meantime, you get to listen to me. Uh, so yeah, if you do fancy it, do email in. Thank you, Chris, for your email. It's noted. Uh, I will add you to our list. Uh, it would be great to talk. It'd be great to talk to people around the world. And for those, of course, we are going to do it remotely. Uh, much as I love the podcast and much as it has grown over the years, we're not yet at the stage where uh, people are flying me. Uh, all over nor should they be actually given it's cop 26 week nor should they be <laughs> so uh, i'm going to use energy in the form of data centers as opposed to flight tickets but i still if i can like to do an interview face to face uh, on all of that i hope your week has been as relaxing as the back end of this one has been for me the front end of it was manic uh, but like i said today well today i took the liberty the opportunity <laughs> of not getting out of bed till 10 30. That is unheard of. And on that happy note, I hope you're having a lovely weekend. And remember, be kind to yourself. Take care.